0: Let me, again, just pause and pray here today. Father, I would invite your spirit to be in this place today. Lord, another hard topic, and um, I give it to you, and may you uh, work, and may your spirit reign in a powerful way. These things we pray in your name. Amen. We've been walking our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the challenges of going through scriptures, kind of like we're doing, just kind of going verse by verse, is you come to certain texts and you go, I don't want to preach that. And this is one of those today that I can be honest and admit to you that this is a hard topic for me to preach on. And I'll throw the verses on the screen. I want to read those and then we'll jump in this morning. Look how it reads. It was also said. Whoever divorces his wife, and let him give her certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now I think there's many pastors who would feel like I feel as well. Just Let's just avoid the topic and skip over those verses. But the dilemma that you have is that marriage in itself... Is challenging today. The institution of marriage is kind of falling apart. There's many young people that are going. It's not an option anymore. Let's just move in together. That's taking place out there. The idea that even the the whole idea has kind of been hijacked and, and are using it now for sinful purposes. But we can get this: is that this isn't the way that God intended it to be. But maybe more challenging is that which calls itself a church, and the marriages within the church. See, too often husbands and wives really are struggling to follow God's design for marriage. Now here, I, I can kind of berate the culture of the day, but we have to stop and say this. It, it's not the only time that this took place. The very fact that Jesus actually brings it up points out that even in their culture, divorce, poor marriages, that was happening. And history tells us that if you read history. it was A, a, a husband could just say, you're out of here. And you've heard that it said, they had lots of rules about it that they had kind of conjured up. But Jesus comes back and he challenges them. But here's where I, I think a little bit of my dilemma is, and it's this, in that the, as I stand up here, as I promote the value and magnify marriages and deal with some of the biblical issues, at times those that have struggled with divorce and gone through that kind of feel like, oh, it's a little bit like a stab. So I recognize that issue even as we begin to this, as we look into it. But the reality is, Jesus teaches on it. And we need to look at it as well. So uh, there's this, again, a church even, as it deals with broken relationships, there's kind of a path that we got to stay on. See, on one hand, we want to magnify and speak the truth. But here's the tension. We, We can speak the truth, and we can kind of ignore the pain that it's caused and kind of say, I don't care. And at that point, we've fallen into a ditch. Or we can preach grace and truth, or grace and love and forgiveness, and then we can kind of stick our fingers in the ears and go, well, this, you know, what the scriptures talk about, and, and, but we do that, and we also fall in the ditch as well. So the challenge for us is to, how do we navigate this very hard topic? And it's just not easy. And yet I feel like we have to do it even here today. Now let me just walk through, if you're taking sermon notes, I want to walk through just why do we need to learn and grow in our understanding of divorce and remarriage? Why we just can't you know stick our head in the sand and go, oh, it is what it is. Well, the first one is this, if you're taking notes. Divorce has more consequences than other issues. We just have to admit that. And the cost is great. Last week I talked about counting the cost in terms of adultery and those things. Well, that's true of divorce as well. Um, Years ago, we put on a blended family conference for the Baxter community And we had the speaker come in that was kind of an expert, and we invited all the different churches and even social agencies. And I remember this so vividly today. He begins on the screen, and he puts on the screen a family where divorce hasn't happened. Husband, wife, kids, grandparents. And he just creates some dots on kind of how they're connected. And then he takes a blended family, where you're trying to merge two families together and then you have, maybe they might have another child as well. So they're stepbrothers and uh, the the whole complicated. And then they put four sets of grandparents up there. And he began to connect the dots of the different relationships. And it was such a visual because that second one literally looked like a spider web. It was just so complicated but then, even beyond that, you think of the emotional costs of divorce. And many of you have felt this. I acknowledge that. Guilt, shame, failure, abandonment, loneliness, rejection. Now, I even thought of this as explaining to a boss you got to take off time to go to court. How ugly is that? Custody battles, financial battles. That doesn't even include the wounds of kids. Money paid to lawyers is so expensive. And again, I acknowledge that some of you've experienced this. And it's hard, it's complicated. But let me give you another reason why we need to address it. Number two, Jesus and the Word of God have made it important. He taught it. Jesus comes along. And, and we just can't deny the biblical teachings on the issue. The issue of oaths and promises and all of those things that go with it. Uh, years ago, that uh, was probably eight, seven, eight years ago, uh, married a young couple and their names are Brian and Alicia. That was their first names. And uh, one of the things that they did. They, when they wrote their wedding vows, they wrote their own wedding vows, and they actually put into the wedding vows, we will never divorce. They used the divorce word. And there was three, 400 people there that day. It was a huge wedding. And it was interesting because it was like, when they made that statement, it was like people looked up and looked and got, what did we just hear? They actually used divorce in their vows? Uh, and it was discouraging for me. Uh, you, you see where it's gone. Where it, it's an abnormal matter of fact. Deanna and I were up at up on the North Shore yesterday, yesterday afternoon for a wedding. And the officiating the guy that was officiating the wedding, he, he gets to the vows and he go and he'll take you know this husband and and I was waiting for it till death do us part. He didn't put it in there. He avoided that phrase. And I go, oh, it just kind of, it was sad. But think of another issue. Jesus made marriage an issue, and, and if you went to Ephesians chapter 5, we won't go there. Jesus actually links it doctrinally, the issue of the church and Christ and use marriage as the illustration. That a marriage is created to represent Christ to the world, and at times, how we've fallen in our marriages to do that. So, Jesus made it important. Number three, though, another issue the mandate to make disciples intersects deeply with the spiritual health of marriages and families. Again, we just can't stick our heads in the sand and default to, well, whatever. No, disciple making understand this as we make disciples is more complex because of divorce and broken families. There's just no getting around the issue. For example, do you realize it impacts children's ministries in churches? Single moms and single dads trying to get their, working all day and then coming home trying to get the kids ready on their own to send them to the ministries at the church. If your husband's ever did shift work, you know what that's like. To navigate Sunday morning or Wednesday night when you're working and how hard it is. Um, we actually, previous church, we actually started a ministry thinking about those things. And actually Deanna was kind of the one that was doing it. Is They provided a meal on Wednesday nights. And one of the reasons why we had a single mom's ministry the size of the church had a because of that had a single's mom's and had a divorce care ministry, and parents could just pick their kids up and just come to church, eat a very inexpensive meal, and then could be a part of the evening activities. see it makes it more complicated just home life it's more complicated now. There's a side note here that i, I got to go down because I, I think I've been praying for this. One of the things that we need as a church is a divorce care ministry. There's, there's a ministry out there that has 13week series, and it's so well done, and my prayer is that someone within our body would step up and be considered a part of doing that, and they need to have experienced the heartache of the divorce. It needs to be a couple. And that's one of the challenges to that. But here's where we need to go this morning, because I can't avoid this topic. If I could have skipped over it, I think it would have been a whole lot easier these last couple of weeks. But these verses, again, speak to divorce and remarriage. But catch this, that, that through the years, all the way back to the time of Christ, there really have been four... Different views that have been taught about divorce and remarriage, and I got to go through them very on a very surface level. But I need to just highlight these. And if you want to dig more and, and get into the very technical aspects, there's a book that I read called "Divorce and Remarriage: for Christian Views." It's it's a it's a heady book. It's very complicated. But if you'd want to ever go down that path, feel free to do that. But let me give you a warning here as we jump into these views. Some of you will think and look at these views and you go, extreme, unloving. Those words might pop into your mind. See, the challenge is how do we kind of take the culture and not look at the culture to define what the Scriptures teach us? And we would kind of look at the culture and go, if we espouse that view, no one would ever come to church. We would be labeled as harsh and critical. Now, they're already telling us that, just from other issues around marriage. So the challenge for us is to how do we really look at the Scriptures and give them credit? And here's, honestly, for me, as I've had to wrestle with these over the years and doing lots of marriages... Uh, one view is right and i have to trust that what i believe is right but i have to at least intellectually go there's some of these views that have great weight when you dig in the scriptures we just have to admit that otherwise i'd be intellectually dishonest if i just said nah there's no truth to what they're saying and 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 that's where we got to just remind ourselves that these are hard And that's at times people look at them and go, How can that? No, that's not what the scriptures teach. And you go, There's weight in these views. The first one is this divorce is never permissible. According to this view, no divorce is legitimate. And understand a phrase that they would use that the marriage bond is not. It can never be dissolved. And no no matter if a you go get a certificate from the state and you say that you're divorced on paper, what they would believe is that God still looks at that relationship and says, No, they're still married. That's one of the views. In that, it's rooted, it kind of comes from a couple of texts, Genesis 2, the first teaching on marriage where Moses writes this, a man should leave his father and mother and cling or cleave, the King James cleave together. That word leave and cleave is very strong. The word leave there is actually translated in a number of other cases, abandoned. A man should abandon his father and mother. There's this new entity that God puts together. And and then Jesus quotes it in Act 19. He says, Those whom God has joined together, let no man separate. And in this view, they would ask the question, What right do we have to overrule an act of God? you Catch what they're saying. Now here again, I can't get on all the nuances of it. You're going to need to dig on your own more if you want to go down some of these paths. But let me give you the second one. Number two. Divorce is sometimes permissible, but remarriage is not. Now under this view, divorce is allowed, and in one sense God's allowed it, but not remarriage. And here's history a little bit. History would say this is the dominant view in the early church. This is how church, early church fathers viewed this issue of marriage. And the tension that we have is we look at this prohibition to marry and we look at it and say it's harsh, it's extreme, and you're punishing the person who's gotten a divorce. You know, and there's this feelings that rise up within people, how dare you tell me what I should or shouldn't do? Now listen closely. One of the nuances to this view is the way we view singleness. And I think there's this idea out here that somehow, and I think we got to admit this, that we're really not whole if we don't if we don't get married. We don't have a spouse. At times you can esteem marriage and it's very hurtful, but what it's subtly communicating is somehow I'm less than a real person if I'm not married. And guys, that's just unbiblical. I want to put a passage on the screen, 1 Corinthians 7. Look at how he says, Now is a concession. Not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. This was inspired words by the Holy Spirit. That just because you're not married doesn't mean that you're not whole. Do you realize John the Baptist wasn't married? Paul wasn't married. Jesus wasn't married. Matter of fact, I think we forget another nuance in Jesus' teaching. They're questioning him. They come along and they ask him about, well, okay, if a spouse dies, what happens? And Jesus points out this interesting doctrine, and very true, he says this, once eternity begins... When this earth is done away with, marriage is also done away with. When we get to heaven, we kind of think that, well, I'm going to be with my spouse. The answer is no. This is about being married with Jesus then. That's when the, the wedding occurs and the new marriage begins. But it's not about an earthly marriage. See, one can be single at home. And Paul goes, there's lots of advantages to that. Let me give you a third view here. Number three, divorce and remarriage are allowed for sexual infidelity and the abandonment of an unbelieving spouse. Now, I'm guessing that this is really the more common view. It's really where Eileen And you see in this text today, I don't have it on the screen, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, accept. And that's why the exception clause, when they talk about that term of exception, says sexual immorality. There's been a severe breakdown in that area. But even when you talk about there's another exception, and it really comes out of 1 Corinthians 7, Look at how it reads. I'll I'll put that on the screen for you. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to, to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, that brother or sister is not enslaved. You might have the word bondage there. Now I, I gotta stop here because there is a debate right here as to the when it talks about freedom here, depending on which view you have, it's is it the freedom to divorce or is it the freedom to divorce? and remarry. And that's where some two different views would would hold and kind of use this text in two different ways. And there's there's challenges around it, and again, I don't have the time to get into it. But here's a greater tension for us in our day. At time, we've pushed and used the word desertion and abandonment in a new way. And here's how how it kind of goes. See, and understand that the Bible doesn't speak to every nuance when marriage just breaks down. So the question is, does physical abuse or drunkenness or financial mismanagement or irresponsibility, does that equal some kind of an abandonment of the marriage, of the marriage vows. And then you have terms like emotional abuse and verbal abuse thrown in there in this day and age. And folks, I have to confess, these are challenging issues. Even with emotional and verbal abuse. Remember what we studied earlier? In the Beatitudes, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Does that not apply in the marriage then? I I don't know. All I can say is this, it's just not simple. They're hard. And one could wish that the Bible would address the nuances of what's going on in this world, but it does not. But I think the warning for us is, do we keep defaulting to just the cultural lens? Or are we going to look and say, really, what's God's heart here? And I'm not saying that's easy either. Let me give you a fourth view. Fourth one. Divorce and remarriage are permitted for basically any act. I don't really like preaching this sermon, okay? See, when people hear this stuff, I know for some of you, it just kind of goes back to a lens that you look through and the circumstances and the experiences of what you went through and, and the challenges is that experience really can't overrule the scriptures. Otherwise, there's no standard. this book doesn't really mean anything. See, if everybody decides what's right, then we go back to what I quoted Judges last week where it said this, everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And then it becomes no standard. And there's lots of churches that have gone that way. See, but the challenge is, what does the Scriptures teach us? Think of, think of the reasons why people get divorced today. Beyond just an unbeliever leaving, and be, infidelity, think of what's thrown out. We just don't have the same goals and values. in We've grown apart. But as a pastor, I've got to say this, but could the Holy Spirit change that? Could a miracle take place there? You know, I don't love the other person anymore. You know what? I am convinced beyond doubt that the Holy Spirit can re-energize and reignite love and affection toward another. Do you catch the challenges of that? Staying married is going to harm the children. But at some point you go, might the Holy Spirit actually protect the children, even long term? Is that a possibility? He or she will never change. I go, you mean that the Holy Spirit can't work in their lives? Is that what we're saying? Or maybe it's just incompatibility. I, I've heard this one. they've spoken it to me. I know that this is God's will There's been a couple of those times when that's happened, and I have to confess, I probably sinned at those times in what I was thinking, wanting to call him Raka at that point. But but hear, hear this. When you go, what is God's heart? When marriages are suffering and hurting, I know this is true, that God is always first for reconciliation. And when people come to me, at times they go, Ken, would you bless me going down this path? And I can't do it, to be frank with you. I I, I can't give a blessing. Now, it might be stepping back, moving out of the home, whatever, but I understand these things go on, so I'm not immune to trying. It's just that my conviction's there. I pray for a miracle. And that's oftentimes what it needs, really needs to happen. This issue, folks, makes it complicated within churches of today and hard for leaders and pastors because how do you deal with this one who maybe they come to Christ after the fact? Does that come into play? When one's a new creation, then does it change, in one sense, the view? Or how about someone who's been married and divorced numerous times and it's pretty obvious that you see patterns in their life where they're stuck in selfishness. Do we bless them moving forward at that point? When you you go, this is going to happen again. I, I, I've, to be honest, I, I've had to say no to some people on this issue. I couldn't marry them because of my conscience and my beliefs. And people have even gotten mad, and you know, stopped attending church as a result of it. But let me throw you how complicated it is. So, about eight years ago, uh, individual came in and wanted to get married, and, and this person was really not very far removed from divorce. And the challenge is, as we explored the nature of their divorce and the breakdown, there just weren't, it wasn't even close to biblical reasons of why the divorce occurred. But the more complicating factor for me was that an elder knew the other gentleman that, that uh, she had divorced. Went to him and basically, he didn't want it. He still wanted to Reconcile. You understand what that threw into our conversation is should we, shouldn't we? How complicated it got? See, that's the challenge on church leadership and that no matter what we say, it creates complex issues. But I want to stop there. Hard stuff. But what can the church do in terms of Moving in the right direction. The first one, I said this, we need to be a place of grace and healing and forgiveness. Because when it happens, it hurts, it wounds. There's people that run through lots of hard things. And I understand even talking about this stuff can bring up hurtful memories, but God wants to heal people. And as a church, we need to accept and forgive and show compassion. But we also need to help in, in terms of helping with baggage and the residual effects with those issues. And again, it's, it's why I'm really hoping that someone would come forward at some point and, and be willing to lead this divorce care. But let me give you a second one. We must strengthen our marriages within the body of Christ. See, we just can't roll over and play dead. Do we realize that maybe the greatest deterrent of where our kids are going in their marriage is what we're learning, what they're learning from us as mom and dad. So healthy marriages must grow. Unhealthy marriages must get fixed and change. We got to be more proactive, and I don't know to degree what people here are in their marriages are readers or learners, but we must become learners on the topic of marriage. If you've never read a marriage book or watched tapes or listened to some stuff, I go, you got to do it. (laughs) You got to be proactive in it. See, talking about divorce. And remarriage stops really all of us. And says, How are we doing? How am I doing with my wife, with Deanna? We gotta examine our own marriages and work. Work on them. Do you realize when you look at stats in divorce, there's a there's two spikes? And the first one is about 6.9 years, about the seven-year period. Young couples, as they get married, and they kind of hit a wall, and, and there's a significant bubble at that point. But there's another bubble, and it's when husbands and wives, their kids, they've had kids, and the, and the last kid is kind of driving, pulling away from the relationship. You know, they're saying, let me free, and they're kind of, so they're, heading down a different path and and husbands, wives, they've been pouring all this energy into the kid world and then they look at each other and go, I don't really know you, do we? And they never worked to get through that. And it's at that point where they don't have anything in common, everything, their whole commonality was their kids' stuff. They never went away for a weekend, never took a vacation together, everything was kids, 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 kids. And I go, that's got to change. You know, when I look, think back of all of the couples I've worked with, I I would argue it's about two to three to one of older marriages versus younger marriages. And that speaks to our age significantly. But let me show you just a, a quick counseling tool that I use. And it's maybe causes some introspection in our own hearts. And let me put on the screen kind of a spiral that really comes into play here. Because early on or somewhere in the marriage, we get irritated with each other. And I suspect most of you have been irritated with your spouse somewhere along the line. If you haven't. You know, stand up now and we'll give you applause, okay? But, but there's a place where you can get irritated and if it continues never to dealt with it, it can move toward the next step down toward frustration. And if frustration grows, there's this emotion of discouragement that comes in. And when you're deeply discouraged, it can turn from inward toward the other person and then all of a sudden anger becomes involved in the relationship. And if anger goes deep enough, all of a sudden they look at the spouse and they go, I'm going to become bitter at you. And it's at this point when it starts to creep into those areas that all of a sudden there's this next phase where it's a, you begin to, there's this mental, the flesh just kind of goes, I wonder if I ever loved them. Maybe God did I've heard this, that God didn't want us to be together. But there's this doubt about the relationship. And if that festers enough, I'll tell you this, hope goes away. It really does. This is hopeless and there's deep, deep discouragement. And this is, again, it's right in here. And all of a sudden there's, there can be a click in people's mar- in marriages where one of them, and this can only has to be one, where the mental reject goes this and goes, I'm done. Now, Now, let me point something out here. That the mental rejection of the relationship doesn't just flow out of somebody's mouth. It can take months. And catch this. One can be mentally rejecting the relationship and the other one is just up at irritation and frustration. They're miles apart. And the one, somebody, all of a sudden, the divorce word comes out and What? They don't view it. It's not even close. Hard. We need to work on our own marriages. Let me give you a third one. Maybe the most important. We must allow the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. And give us the capacity to turn selfishness into agape love. This is a discipleship issue of us moving toward Christ in a way, and this is for everyone, where we're moving from self-centeredness to other-centeredness. And God needs to change us. Quick to forgive not keep record of wrongs just go to first corinthians 13 and read those qualities of love see that's got to be the definition of maturity we can know lots of stuff about the bible but if we can't love we got a problem holy spirit needs to work and uh, my hope is that if you've had to wrestle with divorce, this hasn't this been too discouraging. I, I know it brings up memories. But I just remind you this. God doesn't hate you. He loves you. And if you're at a place where you can look back and go, yeah, I did a whole bunch of things wrong, I, I would say this. Take wherever you're at and begin to walk by faith And if you're in a marriage now, live for the glory of God. I I think of that last song, the ocean song. It's this place where we got to step out in the boat. This is all of us. And and fix our eyes on Jesus. Remember when, when Peter stepped out and he began to walk on water. And as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, he sunk. And too often that's what we do. So maybe the most important point for us is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter. And he wants to do something profound in our lives. For his glory, for the kingdom. That's what he's calling us to. I want to invite the elders up. Serve communion here. And just a reminder that All of us need the cross. All of us. And He's forgiven us because He died for us. And no matter what we've done in the past, no matter what sin we've done in the past, He wants to meet us and to know us. Guys, would you hand out the bread? Take the bread and hand that out. And I'd invite you to just hold it here and that we could just participate together. But again, communion reminds us that the work that we needed has been done by Jesus. Let's just participate and remember him.